Well, I'm glad you've joined us today for worship. And we come to the last message in a series that you've seen many churches be involved in called What's After ATX. Now, you're going to go online and you'll listen to other sermons and they've been different. But it's a great topic because many people just wonder what happens after you die. And so we've uh, dealt with death. We dealt with heaven. We talked about eternal destruction in hell, and we come to today. So uh, I'm glad you've joined us. Have you ever walked through a cemetery? Now, there was a time I used to go and study in the cemetery because it was a peaceful place, obviously, and there weren't a whole lot of people there. But have you ever walked through a cemetery and just looked at the tombstones that are there? And you will see different things on those tombstones as you look at them. Some are old, some are newer, and you can see that some have kind of faded on the limestone or whatever, but you go and look at these, and on these tombstones, you will see different things. You may see a scripture. You may see uh, the old rest in peace that is on there. Maybe it says, to my beloved wife or to beloved dad or, or to a son or whatever may be on the tombstone. I heard a one that said uh, on the tombstone, it says, here is an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. And I thought, well, that's that's pretty funny. But you see different things on tombstones. But one thing you're going to see on a tombstone, you're going to see the name of whoever has passed away. Then you will see a birth date and you will see a date that they died. And between those two, you will see a dash. And that dash is what life is all about. That all of their earthly existence took place in that dash that was there. Um, and you always wonder, as you see, especially if you see a child's or a young adult, you're thinking, gosh, did they die premature? How might they have died? Um, were they a believer? Did they know Jesus Christ? Uh, how did they die? You know, you wonder and ask all these questions. Uh, and then you ask the question, I wonder what kind of impact they left. What kind of family they left behind and, and, uh, and these kind of things. You just wonder what all took place in that dash. Uh, but the dash defines so much of life. In 2004, uh, Tim McGraw, country singer, um, had a song that came out called Live Like You Were Dying. And he and the guy that wrote the song, they kind of talked about the song. And it begins talking about a guy in his early 40s that had gotten, uh, gotten a report from the doctor that was going to be a terminal illness that would eventually take his life. And he began to live out uh, certain things that he always wanted to do that he had never done before. And I, I often wonder... If if we were to get that diagnosis, uh, how would we live like we were dying? And, uh, you know, we don't know how long we're going to live. In Psalm 90, verse 10, it talks about, the psalmist talks about maybe 70 years, maybe 80. And then we get into Psalm 139, verse 16, uh, the, the whole passage is talked about that the Lord knew our days and he ordained our all our days before one of them came to be. So we do not know, but I do know this, I do know that if Christ does not return in my lifetime... The other course is that I will die and, and to go and be with him. So the question is not how long we will live. The question is how should we live our days? Now, 
Quick, quickly, three things that I think the overall of scriptures address for for uh, how we live our days, and then we'll get more specific in just a moment. But you will grow and mature and develop, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But you live out your days by growing, maturing, and developing. Secondly, you live a life that you want to love and to be loved, and that that's just common knowledge, right? A a third thing, though, is you live your life in such a way that you want to help others to follow so that they find Christ as well. So you want to grow and mature and develop. You want to love and be loved. And you want to live a life that others can follow so that they will know Jesus Christ. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because Paul there, I think, He talks about the day that is going to come. And what is the day? Well, the day he refers to is either the day that Christ returns or the day that we stand before him. And there will be a day that all of mankind stands before the Lord Jesus as the judge. We've known him as Savior. We've known him as as healer. We've known him as merciful king. But one day we will stand before him as judge. And he's talking about the day. And uh, that we will all be there on the day. And how do we live uh, facing the day? Now, background before I read the passage. Uh, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. He had planted that church. He was probably there like three years before. And he had, he had planted the uh, church over that time. The, Corinth was a city that was a Roman uh, city. Um, but it was very cultured, but that culture, that, that, uh, uh, pagan culture had flowed into the church in many ways and it had created some divisions within the church. And, and Paul is having to address these divisions that existed. And so you can go back and, and read this part of it, but he is addressing these issues, but he's encouraging for people to live for the day, the day that Christ will return or that we will stand before him. So let's look at those scriptures and what it says. And I'm going to read and then we're going to unpack this as we look about how we live like we were dying. So that the day we face Jesus First Corinthians, chapter three, verse one through four says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while here, while there is jealousy and strife among you, as you not, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let me stop there just a second. Paul saw all of mankind into two categories. Uh, and he saw them either as natural, which was the unsaved person, and then he saw them as spiritual, the saved person. So all of mankind fall into one or two categories, and we still see that today. They're either natural, they have not come to a relationship with Christ, or they're spiritual, they have come to that relationship. And then Paul saw all of the believers into two categories. First of all, he saw them as the mature, those that have grown in their faith and they've developed in their faith. He who began a good work was working that uh, way out in them. They were walking according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And then he saw 
those as immature, those who were carnal or fleshly. In fact, in this passage that I just read, he says of the flesh two times. The first time he says of the flesh is just referring to their manhood. But then the second time he's talking of the flesh, he's talking about they are dominated by that fleshly nature that is there. So this is what Paul is saying. I want to address you as mature, but I'm having to address you as immature. And he says this, basically, your diet, uh, well, first of all, he says this, is that growth shows itself in life. That's point number one. You can write that down. Is that growth shows life. And uh, you're either, not, and we're not talking about age. We're talking about spiritual maturity, the life that comes in that. And your diet shows the kind of believer that you are. Now, case in point, he says, um, you know, you, I fed you with milk, not solid food. If we had a teenager and all he was doing was living on milk and not eating any solid food or he had baby food, you would think, man, that is weird. That is not normal. That shouldn't be happening because he ought to grow up to eat food. Now, I know teenager each at a house and home, but yet if they weren't, then that would be an oddity. And, and what Paul is addressing here is that you should be eating spiritual meat, but you're still having to eat milk because you're fleshly. You're dominated by that flesh. And that describes many believers today. Oh, they claim Jesus. They want to go to heaven. But yet they're still immature in their faith and they're not feeding on, on what God has for them, the meat of God's word. So growth shows life. So verses five through eight, let's go on. Uh, the second point uh, that I'm going to make for you is this. Only God can cause true growth. Only God can cause true growth. Look at what it says in verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything But only God who gives the growth. You can underline that. Only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Only God can cause true growth. You see, what had happened is, is there was a division. Some are saying, oh, you know, Apollos, he spoke, we're of Apollos. And then somebody said, no, Paul, he's the one. And maybe there was another speaker, oh, we're of him. You know, we do that today. We we get fans of certain speakers. Oh, I'm of Stephen Furtick, or I'm of Billy Graham, or I am Craig Rochelle, or Andy Stanley, or whoever. They follow those speakers. And what Paul is saying, listen, all speakers are the same. We're all doing the same thing. We are, we are working in God's field. It is God is the one who gives the growth. And I love that he talks about diversity using his agrarian way of, of teaching. In other words, there's ones that plow. There's those that sow. There's those that water. And then the, the, there are those that bring in the harvest. But it's only God who can transform Alive. I love that because some of you have gift of plowing. Some of you have gift of sowing. Some of you have gift of watering. And some of you have been blessed to bring in the harvest. But understand that all of these work together, what Paul is saying, for one purpose. And that is so that others can come to faith in Christ. Only God can bring hard transformation. We can only create an environment 
for that to happen. And that's what we do. We want to be lives that are forming an environment so that God can work on other people's lives. Only God can cause true growth. And we want to be about that until that day. Now, let's go on. Verse 9 through 11. It says this. For we are God's fellow workers. Underline that. You can write that down as the next point. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, we are God's fellow workers. We're just but servants. We're vessels that he uses, but we are Christ's ambassadors while we're here. Uh, Paul said we are his workmanship while we're here. We're helping others to find the foundation in their life. So we are God's fellow workers. However, Jesus is the only foundation that will last People try to build their lives on many different things, but if the foundation is not sure, the building is going to crumble. Many of you have seen on our campus that uh, Round Rock Christian Academy has been building, and they've been building for months and months and months, but we remember those first days and how long it took just to get that foundation. And then when that foundation was finished, it seemed to go up quickly, because you see that foundation is key. And many people in our day are building their lives. Everybody builds their life on some foundation. But many are building it on uh, ideology. Uh, oh, I'll get it out in a minute. Ideologies of different worldviews that they're um, uh, doing. Many are doing it on relationships or on stuff and material things. On accomplishments. You know, we try to do that accomplishments. Our finances. But you know what I've discovered? It all goes back in the box when this life is over. So your foundation has got to be true. And if it's a false foundation, then it will wreak destruction somewhere on down the line. We, uh, Pam and I just recently, over the last couple of months, we, we always had a deck in our backyard since we lived in this house for 15 years, but it was starting to nickel and dime us, you know, the wood rotting and these kind of things. So we decided we're going to take that out and we're going to concrete the, uh, the porch. Well, what was discovered is, is that when we took the deck out and the four columns that are there, the columns, which were literally almost the foundation of what was taking place on the bottom had all rotted out to where our overhang had actually dropped seven inches. And we didn't even know it because it had happened so gradual. Now we had to build it back up and get the foundation sure so that it would be set. And now, man, it, it's up there where it needs to be. But here's the deal. Any foundation in your life other than the truth of Jesus Christ will eventually crumble and it can wreak havoc in your life. So what is Jesus as the true foundation? We have forgiveness of our past sins. We don't have to carry that around. There's no condemnation there. We have strength for the presence uh, so that we can live out. We can actually live a life with a fullness uh, of the Holy Spirit to live that out. And thirdly, there's a hope for the future. So this is Jesus as our foundation. And then we build upon that. I remember 
It was several years ago. I was just taking a time out to go and pray. I think I'd been doing several funerals at the time or something. And I was out at the lake. And the lake was just still. So what do I do? I pick up a rock, throw it into the lake. And I noticed that that rock hit in the water and the ripples come out from it until eventually it was just still again. And and the Lord kind of spoke to my spirit in that, in that life is like that rock going into the water. Now, eventually we will die and there will be ripples of effect But eventually, it will just be smooth again. And I don't want to depress you, but that's kind of the way it is. We will be forgotten in the scheme of history, but yet our foundation needs to be sure that it is built on Jesus Christ. Now, last part I want to get to is in verses 12 through 16. It says this, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, look at that, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You can you can write this down, that God is looking for how you build and not the results. In other words, he is measuring your faithfulness and not the harvest. And I'll get back to that in just a moment. Notice what he says. Your foundation is Jesus and you build upon that foundation. So you come to a point in your life where you give your life to Christ. He is your foundation. And the rest of your life, until you go to the day where you're in his presence, you will build on that foundation. You're either going to build with gold, silver, precious stones. Now, what is this? Well, it's those things of permanence, those things of beauty, those things of value, those things that are hard to obtain. You build these things and you are working on these things in your life. But... You may build with wood, hay, and straw. Well, what is that? Those things that are passing, temporary, fleshly, ordinary, maybe ugly, and cheap, uh, easy to obtain. We, we get lazy. We just do the things that we think we do. And one day there will be a standing before the Lord and there will be this fire of testing of those things that we have done upon the foundation. And only the things that will last will be of gold, silver, precious stones. Um, one day all of our efforts will be tested. Uh, and, and, but here's my thought. And as I read this passage, I, I understood something that I've not seen before. He is measuring our faithfulness and not the harvest. You see, he is the harvester. He is the one that, uh, only can change a life. We are just to be faithful. And we look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses, verse 13, when he's talking about all these people of faith, and he says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We are going to be moving through this earth until we come into his presence, and we are going to be living that out. But here's the last point. We are called to live for the day. 
Notice what he said in verse 13. He says, for the day will disclose it. This is the day when either Christ returns or we stand face to face with him. We will live for that day as long as we are in these earth suits. That's tough because we, we, our culture tells us live, grab for all the gusto today, you know, live for everything, live each day to the fullest. Yes, live each day to the fullest because you don't know when that day will be. And we want to live each day as followers of Jesus for that day when we will stand in his presence. Alfred Nobel, many of us have heard of the Nobel Peace Prizes and the Nobel Prizes. Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. And in 1888, his brother Ludwig passed away. And a French newspaper thought that Alfred had passed away. So instead of writing an obituary for Ludwig, they wrote an obituary for Alfred. And in that obituary, they entitled it this, The Merchant of Death is dead. Because you see, he had invented dynamite. And there was actually a quote in the obituary that said this, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. And Alfred read his own obituary. And he thought, man, is this really how I will leave a legacy and people will remember me? Well, he was not dead. So he spent the rest of his life trying to change the image of who he was. And in 1895, one year before Alfred Nobel would pass away, he composed a last will which he specified that most of his fortune would go toward establishing prizes that would be given uh, for the, those people that had made the greatest benefit on mankind in physics, chemistry, physiology, or medicine, literature, and peace. And when he left... When he died, he bequeathed, they estimated, 94% of his value, which uh, would be $186 million in today's uh, prices. Maybe even more than that uh, for what he had given. And he was established these prizes. And all of us today have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. But it happened because... Alfred Nobel read a false obituary that scared him and he wanted to change his legacy. And so he did so. Listen, you and I, it's never too late to change our legacy. And the question is, literally, what will your dash say? When people look at your dash, what will it say? And what legacy will you leave behind? You see, we don't know when we're going to step out of here. And I don't say that to be morbid. I say that because a day is coming when we will stand before the one who is the lover of our soul. The one that loves us more than we can ever imagine. Where there's no more pain, no more discomfort, no more tears. Leonard Ravenhill, who was um, an incredible evangelist, a fiery guy when he was here on the earth. He passed away in 1994. And on his tombstone, it says this. It was a question that is on his tombstone. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? 
Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? You see, Jesus Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And are the things we are living for as his followers truly displaying what was worth him dying for? Listen, God does love us. But one day we will all step out of here. So how are we living like we will be dying and standing in his presence? We live for that day. Let's pray. Father, we don't like to think about death. But Lord, it is exciting to know that you not only took, uh, uh, took care of our past, but you took care of our present and our future. And Lord, as long as we have breath, you want to use us for your glory. Lord, you want us to love other people into the kingdom. And so, Father, I ask that you would guide us and, Lord, use us for your glory as long as we are here. And, Father, until that day, may we be useful in your kingdom. And, Father, for any person that is listening today that is yet to come into your kingdom, they've yet to repent, turn from their sins and turn to you. I pray that today that they will deal with you in that area. They will seek you and find you when they search with all their heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.